With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, day three of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. Thus, we have concluded the first round of action in both the men's and women's singles draws. And so on today's show, of course, I want to primarily offer you my reflections on day three's results specifically, but I also want to look more broadly at what I learned from the first round of play at this year's first major. Certainly one of the headlines both coming out of day three and coming out of the first round more broadly is the fact that we have a relatively clean sheet as it relates to our seeds in both of the singles draws. All of my top eight contenders heading into this Australian Open women's singles event still alive. Yes, a few of them were tested and certainly on today's show. I want to talk about Iga Sviantek, Elena Rabakina, both overcoming first set breakers on their way to straight set victories. Vika Azarenka certainly pushed as well by Camilla Georgie. Even Yelena Ostapenko, things got a little tricky for her in set number one, but dare I say that felt more par to the course than any of our other top contenders who got pushed on day number three of this event. So I want to look at the day three results specifically, but then of course talk more broadly about how things look, not just on the women's side of things, but obviously on the men's side as well. We've only had two seeds upset through the first round of play, and that does feel particularly on the low side. You feel like we always get four, five seeds eliminated, even if it's not a top 10 seed. Certainly, you feel like you get, what, a 12 seed or a a 14, a 15 seed. No, just two seeds eliminated thus far. Nicolas Iari, Sasha Bublik, and you know, in the Bublik case, is anyone that shocked when he loses, excuse me, early at a major? I think no. So again, want to look both at the day three results for the top seed, guys like Carlos Alcaraz, Sasha Zverev, all beginning their campaigns. But then, of course, uh, more broadly, want to look at how the seeds fared in round number one in that men's singles draw as well. And then we can get into some of the funky things, right? I think it's a really good month to be named Emma if you're a WTA Tour player. Certainly Emma Raducanu, Emma Navarro, both looking the part of stellar Emma's yesterday. Raducanu, a straight set win. Navarro grinding out a three set win as her pathway to her first week two appearance at a major becomes a abundantly clear after the first round of this event. So we'll talk about the good month that the Emmas have had thus far. We'll talk about the viral moment for Jack Draper. He ultimately overcomes, uh, or requires, excuse me, a fifth set and overcomes, that's what it was, a two-set-to-one deficit on his way to a five-set win and a popcorn round two matchup 
rematch, I should say, from last week with Tommy Paul. But of course, the viral moment wasn't anything that happened during the course of the match. It was afterwards. And I'll explain what that viral moment was for some of you less attuned with tennis Twitter, tennis social media uh, here on today's show. And then one other off-court headline for us to discuss. People certainly seeing yesterday, if you are a member of tennis Twitter or on social media, the fact that Sasha Zverev going to public trial in relation to his domestic violence uh, the accusation of domestic violence accused me uh, excuse me that he has been accused of his case going to public court in Germany. We heard some players respond uh, or were asked throughout the course of the day in press about those allegations Vera faces, whether it's appropriate uh, for him to continue to serve on the ATP Player Council with those allegations surrounding him and you know, again, certainly many had a visceral reaction to many players' responses to that question. Certainly it is a significant topic, one we have discussed here before uh, on this podcast as it relates not only to Zverev, but more broadly, the ATP's lack of clarity surrounding their domestic violence policies. Zverev's not the only one who faces serious allegations. I mentioned it. Obviously, Tiago Sabathville facing serious allegations in Brazil as well. And I'm not saying these players don't retain the presumption of innocence, I think, in the court of law, particularly where I'm born in the United States. All people accused of a crime assume the presumption of innocence until proven otherwise. That said, many feel very uncomfortable, justifiably so, with these players continuing to compete on court, or more broadly, the lack of clarity in the ATP's response to why they have been allowed to compete on court, where things stand in terms of their internal investigations. Anyways, We got a lot of tennis to talk through, and I know that's what most of you listeners are here to hear discussed, Uh, but I do want to talk about that headline at the end because I do think that's a significant one and one certainly worth discussing as you look at what were the biggest storylines, results, controversies on day three at this Australian Open. Of course, that is the intention of this mini break podcast to talk uh, and tackle every topic regardless of its challenges. More broadly, of course, if you're looking for additional Australian Open coverage, be sure to head on over to the Great Shot Podcast feed. I got previews up for you each and every day. Those podcasts, Strictly Tennis. I'll run you through my favorite matches of any given day, run you through some of the stats, some of the tactical things I see, I expect, or at least to be seen throughout the course of any given day. And again, week number one of a slam in particular when there are Always at least, what, 16-plus matches on the calendar, singles-wise at least on any given day. I feel like it's always helpful to have a podcast or a place to turn to to organize, okay, what do I need to see to get the best grasp of anything that happened? Of course, you can always catch up on things here on these recap shows, but if you're looking for preview content on your way back from work or as you're getting prepared for the action late at night, early in the morning, whenever it is you watch your Australian Open, uh, be sure to check out those preview podcasts. Go subscribe to that Great Shot podcast feed. Appreciate all of you who have uh, over the course of this first month of 2024 and appreciate all of you who have always uh, subscribed to this podcast, left us that five-star review, left us uh, that rating, excuse me, and then a little review as well, always on Apple Podcasts. Love to hear your thoughts. Appreciate all of you who interact with me on social media. I'll try to get better at that. I know I need to uh, moving forward here in 2024. But anyways, more content available over on the Great Shot Podcast feed, more content soon to be available over on our Crack Rackets YouTube feed, including our first college tennis broadcasts of the year. Friday, Sunday, we've got a couple double headers for you. We've got Oklahoma State men and women on Friday, the Oklahoma State 
men taking on Middle Tennessee. Those Middle Tennessee has been a top 25 program for the past few years. Oklahoma State, a program on the rise on the men's side under head coach Dustin Taylor. On the women's side, Oklahoma State's a top six team. And they're taking on a fellow top six team in Michigan, a team that beat them twice last season. And both teams have serious national championship aspirations. That is going to be a fantastic match. We'll have both available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel on Friday. And then Sunday, we've got Oklahoma State taking on Ohio State again, two teams with serious top 10 aspirations. We also have USC taking on Texas. Gil Gross going to join us for that women's match, the Oklahoma State match women's as well. Again, all of it available on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, so make sure you're subscribed over there so you don't miss out on any bonus tennis throughout the course of the weekend. Yeah, you'll have a lot of Australian Open to, uh, to, uh, uh, to catch up on, excuse me, but what about during the day? What about from that 2 to 6 p.m. hour when there's no Australian Open to catch up on and you've already done so throughout the morning? Come hang out with us. Come enjoy the highest level college tennis we have in the world, the Division One level. Again, top 10 matchup to kick us off. Oklahoma State versus Michigan, Oklahoma State versus Ohio State, even USC versus Texas. That's a really fun one on the women's side. Obviously, Oklahoma State versus Middle Tennessee for the men. Make sure you join us. Make sure you don't miss it. Go subscribe to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. And as always, a thank you to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. All right, enough plugs, enough outlining, enough introducing. Let's talk day three at this 2024 Australian Open. My first headline coming out of the day for all of you listeners is how about those matchups for the top seeds? Each of Iga Swiatek and Elena Rybakina had to look at the draw when it came out and not be afraid, but certainly a little frustrated to have seen a former world number one in the case of Rybakina, Karolina Pliskova, and a former Australian Open champion in the case of Iga Swiatek in Sonia Kennan as their round one matchups. Yes, Iga's the top seed, but Rybakina faced set points. So I want to start with her ultimately a 7-6, 6-3 victory, 6-4, excuse me, for the reigning Australian Open finalist. This was just good tennis from start to finish. Like, I don't think you come out of this match if you're Elena Rybakina concerned that you were pushed so closely in round number one. Karolina Pliskova played like someone who knew, hey, man, if I don't win this match, I'm outside the top 70 for the first time in a decade. And that is precisely where she finds herself after that 7-6-6-4 loss. Pliskova now 73 in the live rankings. Again, it's been 10 years since she's been in a position that low. What were you doing 10 years ago? I was graduating high school 10 years ago, or um, excuse me, 10 years ago today, I was wrapping up and about to start my second semester as a college freshman. Lots changed, obviously, since then. Lots changed for Karolina Pliskova in the decade since she's been in this position in the rankings. But last night, she looked like a top 50 player. Hell, last night, she looked like a top 25 player, dictating the way she did against Elena Rabakina. There was one break of serve in this round one affair. Ultimately, Rabakina earning an early break of Pliskova in set number two, was able to protect that break the rest of the way. Had an opportunity to earn a second break to close things out. Pliskova coming up with a couple of big serves, a couple of big plus one forehands. And again, across the board, Carolina Pliskova has got to be pretty happy with her performance. Made 74% of her first serves, won 68% of those points, four aces, again, fought off, the, uh, fought off what? The one break point. Oh, no, excuse me. There were three breaks of serve in this match. Rabakina, two of eight on breaks points converted. 
Pliskova one of one, but Rabakina six of eight break. Uh, Pliskova six of eight break points fought off. Excuse me, apologies for screwing up the stat there. Um, but I'm trying. I, why don't I remember the trade of breaks? Must have happened in set number one. I think there was only one break in set number two. Anyways, point is, plus one tennis was the theme in this match. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And Rabakina might be the best. Her and Sabalenka are the two best one best plus one power tennis players we have in the world right now. You saw Elena Rabakina demonstrate that. You obviously also, dare I say, saw her demonstrate a fluidity, an improvement as a mover that we haven't seen or a, a new development or a continued development that will be so consequential to her continuing to remain in the top tier in women's tennis when you have such a loaded, talented field moving forward. And that was the biggest difference in this match. It didn't come down to execution behind the first serve. It came down to Rabakina was just the slightly more dynamic of the two players. And again, look, Rabakina had a set point, 5-6 Pliskova serving that Pliskova able to fought off with a big plus one forehand. Rabakina obviously faced three set points, down 6-3 in that sec, uh, first set breaker on the first one, Pliskova popping up a backhand off of the net court, Rabakina having to track it down. She does so in a beautiful little backhand flick cross court as she was digging that ball out, showed off the wheels, bites off set point number one on set point number three, a really impressive, bold inside-out forehand swing that just clips the line to level things at 6-all. And then, again, Rabakina able to carry things from there. 8-6, she closes out set number one. I will say... Credit to Karolina Pliskova. You thought, okay, she's just going to fall apart, fade away after this first set. She did not. Broken just once in set number two. Grinds out a tough hold in the opening game of the set, albeit she was broken, I think, in her next service game by Rabakina. Again, Rabakina was just a little bit better on the forehand return of serve, a little bit more fluid in the outer thirds. Just, again, played like the best power tennis players in the world did. Was broken once, faced just one break point. She won 44 of the 60, 44 of the 60 points she played on serve in this match, 73.5% for the match. It's a job well done by the reigning Australian Open finalist. Again, she got pushed. Plus, it came out swinging freely, was playing a really high level of power tennis, even had some success backhand to backhand against Rabakina, but Rabakina's forehand got hot as the match progressed, and now she advances to round number two, where she will be a much more significant favorite, taking on another big hitter in Anna Blinkova, but I don't think Blinkova is as relentless or confident in her power tennis as a Carolina Plisko. So again, very winnable match uh, for Rabakina, where she's a 90.7% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, I think it, things get a little easier for her coming out of round number one. Six and four, she passes a tough test, as does Iga Sviantek, who, yeah, had a set point of her own, uh, with Kennan serving 5-6 in the opening set. But Kennan also served for the opening set up 5-4. And it was a credit to Iga Sviantek, who never faced a set point, who was facing an opponent who was playing an elite level. Like, again, if you're Iga Sviantek, your team Sviantek, who now you've won 17 consecutive matches. I think she's one of like six players with multiple 17 match win streaks since 2000. Shout out to our friends at Opta Ace, who I know tweeted out that stat earlier today. In fact, the stat officially from them, the list of players with multiple 17 match win streaks uh, throughout the course of this century. She's the eighth. Serena Annan, Venus, Vika, Davenport, Kleisters, Sharapova, Sviantek. Girls 22 years old. 
Do you get why I now joke? Not eliminated from the greatest of all time race. She's won 17 consecutive matches twice, and she's 22 years old. The stats speak for themselves. She's now won her opening match in her last 36 events played. Her last loss in a first match was at the WTA Finals against Maria Sakkari, which really shouldn't count because that's a round-robin format and you're playing the eight best players in the world amongst, excuse me, the eight best players in the world. I mean, it should count, but it shouldn't. Ridiculous. The statistics are ridiculous. And again, the level of this match was ridiculous because Sonia Kennan played like a former Grand Slam champion. Sonia Kennan was swinging so freely on her backhand. Anything that came shoulder height, drive, line drive. Didn't matter if it was cross court, didn't matter if it was down the line. She was bunting down on that ball in the best way possible and got Iga stretched in serious ways where, again, Iga sliding into corners, which remains one of the most fascinating things to see. Iga forced to play defensive tennis in a way where she's not able to dictate and swing as freely with her plus one forehand and position herself to play inside out, inside out, inside in combinations from that ad side. No, she had to hold her ground because Kennan was swinging so aggressively. But again, Sviantec weathers the storm. She was still able to find aggression when the opportunities did present themselves. And there were times when Iga hits too big of a first serve or catches you on a redirect where she got Kennan stretched, particularly on that forehand wing to slice something and pop something up. And from there, Iga was so efficient. 30 winners, 21 unforced errors. She converted four of her nine breakpoint chances, fought off three of the five breakpoints that she faced, seven of nine at the net. She won 17 of the 25 points she got the chance to on second serves and uh, second serve returns, and that is in particular when she got Kennan stretched, especially as Kennan's first serve percentage waned down the stretch in that match. That said, again, you pray more than anything else, this is the level we get from Sonia Kennan. It's a level we saw from her towards the end of last season. Finals of San Diego, semifinals in Mexico, now playing Sviantec really tight here in her opening round match. It's just something you hope she can build on. Because again, did she fall up, uh, come up short? She did, but she's playing the best player in the world. And it was just a stark reminder that underlying any of the pace and weaponry and things Iga can actually do with the racket in her hand to see her slide in and out of corners and absorb some of the punches Kennan was throwing at her. Special stuff from the world number one who, by the way, things get no more easier for in round number two as she's going to take on former finalist here at the Australian Open, someone who has beaten her at this event in American veteran Danielle Collins. Collins, a three-set win over Angie Kerber now. Kerber ain't Sviantec. Maybe, again, they're both movers who can counterpunch when forced to, but Sviantec's ball comes in way heavier. Her serve with so much more action, so much more pace than Kerber at this point. Collins is just going to be stretched into the outer thirds in in ways Kerber wasn't able to. And so, again, Iga is still the heavy favorite in my mind. Obviously, Collins played her to three sets in Canada last year and has the sort of swing freely power tennis nature that you need to play with if you want any sort of chance of beating Iga because you ain't ever going to outgrind her. It's a tough second round match uh, if you're Iga Sviantek. Nevertheless, she's an 88.6% favorite. Even, again, on paper, it don't matter. Sviantek threw. Uh, I thought, again, that she pulled away in the second set, that she's now won 34 of her last 36 sets and 17 consecutive matches. Again, eighth time. Uh, eighth player this century with multiple 17-match win streaks, and she's still just 22 years old. She and Rabakina both overcoming tough round one matchups to advance to round number two. And, again, all of my eight 
top eight contenders, excuse me, entering this 2024 Australian Open, make it through to round number two, joining Sviantek, Rabakina, and yesterday's winner, uh, Arena Sabalenka, in the winner's circle today. My other top eight players, uh, just want to mention quickly, three-set win for Victoria Azarenka. Look, it was hot. It was humid out there. You could tell the conditions affecting all players. Azarenka gets out to this hot start and then kind of hit a wall against Camila Georgie. Now, Georgie started finding the outer thirds. And as much as Georgie kind of gets the reckless reputation of swings freely and the errors pile up when she's not playing her best tennis, a reputation she deserves. There's a lot of female bublik in Camila Georgie. And that when she's good, you're like, why is this player not top 10? And then when she's not good, you're like, oh, maybe she shouldn't be in the top 100. But Camilla Georgie moves outstanding. Like she's pretty freaking quick in and out of the corners, and because she's so springy, like that's when she can beat you to the spot down the line. Still, Vika steadied the ship, locked in on serve. It's a really good win for Victoria Azarenka as she advances to round number two. Obviously, a quarterfinalist here last year. She's going to take. Uh, she's got a tough test, round number two, taking on the big hitting, talented Dane, Clara Tawson, who, of course, we've seen be the top 10 player in Australia, in Annette Conteve. We'll see what she can do against Azarenka. Tawson straight set win over Hreet Minin. Played good, not great. Like, there were stretches where the forehand in particular started spraying on her, and that will be the case. But I do think she's moving a little bit better, has always anticipated so well. She gets her hands on the ball, special things happen. But again, a little inconsistent in her matchup against Minnan. Obviously, we'll have to clean that up against Azarenka. Tossin's not in my top eight contenders, but she's going to face one of them in Vika in round number two. That's a fun one to keep an eye on. Chin Wen, another three-set winner, and it's kind of twofold. Did Chin Wen spray a little bit in dropping that opening set 6-3 to Ashlyn Kruger? Absolutely. It wasn't Chin Wen's best tennis. You look at what uh, the 20, is she 22 now or still 21? I want to say 21-year-old and be correct. I am indeed the 21-year-old uh, from China in set number one. Not not a fun ratio, as you would imagine. 10 winners against 18 unforced errors. That said, for the match, Chin Wen ultimately ending up with 28 winners against 29 unforced errors. So 18 and 11 the rest of the way. Stats would say, oh, Chin Wen must have been spraying in set number one, and it was self-inflicted errors before she steadied the ship. I will say first serve percentage was very, very poor in this match. Just 53%. She double faulted 11 times. But part of that was the pressure Ashlyn Kruger was putting on her. Again, if you haven't watched the 19-year-old American play, and by the way, seven of Chin Wen's 11 double faults came in set number one. So it was, to some extent, a pretty rough set number one. She made just 42% of her first serves. But Ashlyn Kruger then was swinging freely. And Ashlyn Kruger, with the heavy topspin, again, Chin Wen provided, was able to drive through the ball that much more. She was strong enough, tall enough, and and powerful enough to hit through Chin Wen at times, to be the aggressor throughout the course of that first set. And again, it really helped that Chin Wen was making just 42% of her first serves and gave her seven free points via double faults. But Kruger made 67% of her own first serves when 78% of those points was able to play front foot tennis throughout the course of set number one. Now, again, as things progressed, Things kind of got away from Kruger, who ultimately ended with 41 unforced errors against 17 winners. Part of that was Chin Wen definitely rose her level in sets two and three. But Kruger's pace put some pressure on Chin Wen early. And again, it speaks to the 19-year-old ceiling moving forward. She has real weapons, real court sense, is a real competitor, takes whatever her opponent's going to give her. 
again, can be a little bit error prone, but has a gear she can hit that I feel like can pressure any opponent. Again, she's won Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. We don't have a residence for her yet. We're not even building a place in anticipation of a future slam for Kruger, but we did invite her to the caddy circuit. She can come work the golf course, work the tennis courts, work the pool. She can hang out with the members on weekends when there's fun events. We're scouting you. Ashlyn Kruger here over at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. By the way, that's far from a new revelation still. Chinwen grinds through. She's got a tough test again in round number two. Another line drive, baseline holding centric power player in Katie Bolter who gets through in a tight straight set match. It's another test for the 21-year-old as she continues to, in my opinion, I think she has a path towards the top 10 this year, uh, certainly a path early to round number three, uh, around, uh, a path to round number three and to week number two at this Australian Open. But Azarenka, Chin Wen, two of my top eight contenders to get through in three sets. The other contenders, straight set winners on the day for Jessica Pagula. That was her best match of the season. Two and four against Rebecca Marino, was never stressed, was always in rhythm, seemed to get Marino on the back foot far more successfully than she got any opponent in Adelaide, certainly any opponent during United Cup. She just looked comfortable. She looked fit. She looked locked in. She looked like herself, which is the highest compliment I can offer because Jessica Pagula has been a top eight player for two, two and a half years consecutively now. Good win for her to kick off her Melbourne campaign, two and four over Marino. Sets up a date next for Pagula with talented young French woman Clara Burel. You also uh, had Yelena Ostapenko. Self-inflicted wounds as she was up an early break on Burel, but ultimately... Uh, seven six six one. Ostapenko able able to prevail. Beautiful forehand winner on set point to clinch things. I think she's moving well. She just seems in control. Yeah, there was the the blip of the radar when she got broken serving for that first set five four. But that that had only happened once and not three times where there was a streakiness to Ostapenko in this match. Streak speaks to the progression. Again, I think she's playing the best tennis of her career entering this Australian Open. Certainly the title last week would seem to indicate as much. She is through to round number two where a date with Isla Tomjanovic awaits. That will be a fun contrast of styles on day number five. Again, your other top seeds on the day advancing. Uh, all right, I guess those are all your top seeds who advanced in straight sets. Uh, we'll get to the other seeds who advanced uh, on the day in a little bit. Let's switch gears now, though, talk about the men's side of things. Again, I think the women own the headlines on day number three, but certainly if you're the men's seeds, you stayed seeding throughout the course of this day. Men's seeds now 8-1 and one through the first round in five-set matches. The latest winner, Talon Greekspoor, comes back from two sets to love down and just outlasts Roman Sefulin in what was a very fun baseline-centric power tennis sort of match. Both guys strike the forehand so cleanly, create space for themselves so well. Sefulin just ran out of gas, like just a little bit too streaky, a little bit too inconsistent down the home stretch. Again, that's a credit to Greek sport. That's a brutal first round draw for both guys. Credit to the perseverance of Greek sport to come back from two sets to love down. That's really impressive stuff. But, you know, more broadly, again, you look at the top seeds yesterday. Yeah, much like Medvedev, much like Tsitsipas, much like Djokovic and others, they all got tested here in their early round matches. But, 
they were never in question, I think, throughout the course of their round one affairs. And again, looking at my top 10 contenders, it's a clean sheet, five for five on day number three. We'll start with the blowout, Carlos Alcaraz. There were no doubts. Yeah, he went 0 for 9 on break points in set number one. But did you ever think he was losing a set to Richard Gasquet last night who had to resort to bunting his forehand with that eastern grip because it was just coming in too heavy from him from the young Spaniard? Alcaraz, 7-6-6-1-6-2. He looked like himself. He looked like a top four contender, a tier one guy, a guy who... Certainly is on a warp. Again, the only reason he didn't make the final of the U.S. Open is because Daniil Medvedev played the best match of Daniil Medvedev's life in last year's U.S. Open semifinal. And I know Elkarez stumbled down the season's home stretch, but it's his first Australian Open. He looks fit. Sleeveless debut for him as well. The biceps look reinvigorated post-off season. Straight set win for Alcaraz. Nothing to glean other than he still looks really good. Entering 2024, Again, we'll talk about Zverev's off-court issues in a moment. On-court, it was a Sasha Zverev match. 4-6-6-3-7-6-6-3. Shakiness in trying to close out that second set on serve, yet ultimately finds a couple of big first serves to get himself over the finish line physically. Guy is just a nightmare to face in a best-of-five format because he does move so well, because he is so strong, because he's willing to extend rallies, muck things up. And again, that's that third set was a real struggle because Virov got tentative because lefty Dom Kofer was willing to swing freely, but couldn't duplicate the pace needed with enough consistently to pressure Zverev with any sort of consistency. And, you know, again, beyond the underlying passive counterpuncher that Blaze Zverev's game is a six foot six guy who can hit one forty bombs at you at a moment's notice, and so Zverev never in doubt, pre, uh, maybe in doubt, just given some of the yips he has had. But once he got through that third set, cruised in the fourth, four set win as he finds his bearings here early in this Melbourne event. Same, by the way, Holgaruna, same deal. Critical third set breaker goes the way of the eighth seed. He overcomes Yoshihito Nishioka in four sets. Runa was getting frustrated. Again, signs of immaturity continue to plague him as I think there's there's a strong pro-Japanese, pro-Nishioka contingent in the crowd that just seemed to grind Runa's gears and get under his skin and distract him, or at least after every point he lost, that's what he seemed to be turning to and displaying outward frustration and just... You can't do that against Yoshi because it requires such discipline to beat him. First of all, it hits the ball sneaky big from the baseline for a guy who's 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, yeah, I know the second serve certainly hangs up for him, and Runa punished it with plenty of frequency. But man, the way he yo-yos you into the outer third, the way he finds the cross courts, the way he can find the short angles, the way he can beat you down the line with his speed and the spot— it required some serious focus, concentration from Holgaruna throughout the course of that match. And he steadied the ship. I think he found his best level. I thought he was sailing through the backhand so cleanly by the end of set number four. It's a tough test, but a, a test passed by Holgaruna. I'll give him B plus for his performance. Four sets, ultimately. He's through over Nishioka into round number two, um, for what it's worth, since I mentioned the opponents uh, on the other side for Zverev. Round two, he'll face the big hit and qualifier, Lucas Klein. Lucas Klein looked impressive. I mean, was just blasting the ball in his round one victory on the Runa side of things. He gets 
Arthur Cazot, the Frenchman who's got some wheels to him. The forehand can be a little bit springy, but that's a match. Runa should be the significant favorite. He's 84.2%. Zverev, 91.3% over Lucas Klein. Yeah, I do think things will get progressively easier in terms of opponent for each of those guys as you head into round number two. Again, other seeds on the day looking the part. You had Casper Ruud more than looking the part. Again, I've already said this on a mini break podcast. My biggest mistake from the offseason was underrating Casper Ruud. Guy took it personally. The lack of success he had for the majority of last season. Very clear that he put in the offseason work. He looks fit. He looks focused. Was driving his backhand beautifully to set up his forehand down the line and just crushed. Now, he should crush Albert Ramos Vinolas, the lefty Spanish veteran. Never been a hardcore guy, even in his prime. Ball's going to sit up for Rude to attack. Rude did exactly that. Lefty didn't bother his backhand at all. Casper's just locked in. Drops just five games on his way to round number two. He's in the Zverev section of Zverev. Oh, that's a good section, man. Zverev, Lechechka, Rude. If Casper, if Cameron Norrie's your fourth best guy in your 16th of the draw, that is a loaded 16th of the draw. So certainly one to keep an eye on. One thing you were keeping an eye on early yesterday, was Grigor Dimitrov really going to blow all the goodwill he had built up over the course of winning his first title in six years or seven years, whatever it was, six and change uh, in Brisbane, uh, yeah, in Brisbane last week. And, you know, again, was he going to be the latest uh, seed to fall victim to the Martin Fucevic first round matchup? Thank the Lord, I'm sure, if you're Grigor Dimitrov, the answer to that question was no, as he does not sacrifice any of that goodwill. He wins his sixth consecutive match, comes back after dropping a first set, 4-6-6-3-7-6-6-2. Again, a third player winning that critical third set breaker yesterday. Yes, none of Zverev, Runa, Dimitrov were pushed to a fourth set, but you can put that a fifth set, but you can push them up, put them on the list with the guys who have been pushed to fifth sets of overcoming significant moments in these matches in crunch time and pulling away from there. I mean, Dimitrov's plus one efficiency was elite, but beyond that, what was most impressive is just how fit he appears to be right now. Again, it just feels like body, mind, game, they're all in sync for Dimitrov in a way that maybe the three components have never been at any point in his career, whether maybe the game set was right, he was confident, but then he got injured, or he was healthy and confident. Uh, he was healthy and mentally thought he was feeling good, but then the game disappeared from him or any of the things that it may be. The point is that was one of those wins that you get, you grind through when you are at your best. And that's precisely what we saw from Grigor Dimitrov yesterday. Fucevic, yeah, he's muscular. Yeah, he can can in the first serve. Yeah, he's extraordinarily fit. Kind of massages the ball from the baseline more than you would expect for a big man. And again, it was Grigor doing the dictating. Grigor, who was the fitter of the two down the home stretch, able to execute that much better. Again, pulls away 6-2 in the fourth. Good victory for him. I don't know if you want to put Tommy Paul in your contenders list, but he did make a semifinal last year. He was excellent. 2-3-3 and over Gregorard Beret. Just didn't look tested in the slightest. Looks ready for that Jack Draper round two matchup, which, of course, we're going to get to in a moment. Those are the top seeds and how they performed on the men's side. Again, Alcaraz, Zverev, Djokovic, Runa, Sinner, Alcaraz, Rublev survived in five sets. Kasper Ruud has looked so good. Grigor Dimitrov, who's been so good of late. All the oh, Only two seeds have lost thus far. Nicholas Yari, the number 18 seed, who, yes, is dangerous, but I don't think would have been at the top of anyone's contenders list. And then Sasha Bublik, who 
looked really good last week. Straight set loss to Samit Nagal again. Maybe you're a little bit surprised. You're certainly not shocked. It just happens to Bublik so frequently. So men's seed stay seeding. All the big dogs still alive as we approach. In fact, 30 of our 32 seeds, not just all the big dogs, just about everyone still alive as we approach round number two. Sets up to be really fun over the, or I should say, as this Australian Open continues to progress. I was going to say over the next 11 days. That's too big of a reference, but certainly throughout the course of week one, things are setting up to be really fun as we continue to get through it. My next and fourth headline of the day It's a good month to be named Emma, and obviously there are two Emmas I'm referring to in particular. Let's talk Emma Navarro quickly. The progression on the backhand is just real, and Navarro's ability to spring through that backhand, absorb, redirect, and even dish out some pace towards lefty Wang Shiyu's forehand yesterday— it's why Navarro was able to prevail. Yeah, she was up a break a couple of times throughout the course of that match. Probably should have gotten off the court in straight sets, but again, the lefty just puts so much pressure on you. When she's connecting with the ball and swinging freely, she plays with, I'm not going to say elite pace, but very good pace. And yet, again, what's what's so remarkable about watching Emma Navarro is how complete her game has become over the last 18 months. Her serve, her forehand, They were always moneymakers. At the collegiate level, it's why she won so easily because push came to shove. She could just rip you around the court with her forehand and beat you in that fashion. Her backhand's become a real weapon. I'm telling you, even as recent as six months ago, she was not able to drive it the way that she does now. The serve has progressed. She's a comfortable volleyer. I highly recommend all of you go read the latest heavy topspin blog on Tennis Abstract written by our friend Jeff Sackman where he talks about Navarro's rise from outside the top 50 into the top 40, outside the top 150, excuse me, into the top 40. Fourth fastest for anyone outside of the age of 21, uh, older than 21, excuse me, when that leap occurred. Obviously, college tennis is why her progression came a little bit later, but It's a fantastic piece from Jeff who has talked about her rise and, again, something I highly recommend all of you Mini Break podcast listeners read. Anyways, Navarro threw over Wang Xiu, maybe the toughest test she had in her draw because you look at it moving forward. Like, again, she should – I don't know if she's the favorite uh, to make round number four, but – no, she is the favorite. I'm not going to say – I don't know if she is. She is certainly the favorite. As you look at her section – Coach is her next match in the Italian, uh, a comfortable straight set victory over, I believe, Lulu's son, who just didn't have the consistency to hang with Coach Chiaretto. But Navarro should be favored in that match, and she is 75.1%. After that, she'll face the winner of Gracheva and Yastremska. Sure, Yastremska might have the biggest weapons on the court. She might have the biggest weapons every time she steps on the court. But from a consistency standpoint, you're always leaning Navarro. Tennis Abstract gives her a 55.6% chance of making the second week. She is clearly the prohibitive favorite in her 16th. And again, she walks out of this January not only with her first tour-level title, but a first, second week at a major as well. And all these points defended now so she can schedule a little bit more loosely, not have to worry about that because she has played so many matches over the last 12 months. It's a good time to be named Emma. Emma Navarro certainly living the life as she advances to round number two, gets her first victory here in Australia. And then how about Emma Raducanu? Straight set win over Shelby Rogers. Never in doubt yesterday, Raducanu, a three and two victory over the American. Now, Shelby hadn't played since Wimbledon. Obviously, we hadn't seen Raducanu since Stuttgart. So 
uh, before the start of this year. Obviously, long layoff for both players, but I'm just... It's an eye test thing. I don't have clear-cut statistics to turn to. I could tell you the numbers from that match, but it won't do it justice. It's an eye test thing. Radakanu's playing her best tennis since the 2021 U.S. Open. She's moving freely. She's playing freely. She's swinging down the line so well. The backhand contact point, the forehand redirect down the line, her return of serve position inside the baseline, holding her ground. She just looks like the player that took like the tennis world by storm and won that 2021 U.S. Open. And I'm not saying she's going to win this Australian Open. I'm not even saying she's fully back to swinging that freely, playing that loosely again, because that was lightning in a bottle sort of stuff. But she looks much more like that 2021 version of herself than whatever we saw in 22 and 23, which we asked was clouded a lot by injuries. But I'm just telling you, significant improvement significant improvement from Emma Raducanu, who with her victory here in round number two, she is up only four spots, sitting at 292 in the live rankings right now. But I'll tell you what, 71.7% favorite as she'll take on Yafan Wang. Uh, Yafan knocking out Serana Kirste after she dropped the opening set six love. She comes back, I think it was six love, two love, or six love, three love down. Ultimately, love six, seven, five, six, two. She takes that match. Kirstea just falling apart like the injury not the injuries the the errors it was just it was a brutal watch I mean I'm not gonna lie even just the three or eight minute highlight package a lot of errors come off the racket of Kirstea credit to Wang Yafan who just continues to fight and again with the victory Wang Yafan currently sitting at 82 in the live rankings you look right now in terms of Chinese women inside the top 100 of the WTA rankings, Chin Wen the highest right now. She's sitting at 14. Wang Xinyu currently sitting at 34. Ju Lin currently sitting at 42. Wang Xiu at four, uh, 58. Yuan Yua at 59. You've got Wang Yafan at 82. Bai Zhao Xuan at 88 as well. Seven top 100 Chinese women right now in the singles rankings. I would venture to say that's a first. Anyways, that's a really good draw for both Navarro and Raducanu to reach third rounds at the majors to start their season. Navarro, who's already sitting a career high, 23. Uh, she earns a victory. She wouldn't surpass Belinda Bencic and take that 22 spot. And there's a little bit of a delta between her and Alina Svitolina sitting at 21. But she can make a top 20 push. Again, it's going to be all tour-level events the rest of the way. Radakanu earns another victory. She'll jump up all the way to 258 in the live rankings. But again, she's a U.S. Open champion. She'll get wild cards into events that she wants to play. More important than anything is the winning, the confidence returning, and I think it has. It's a good month to be named Emma. Certainly, we saw that manifest itself yesterday as both Emma Navarro, Emma Radakanu each earn round one victories on day number three. My last two headlines uh, for you all. Let's start with the viral moment. Again, Jack Draper overcoming a two sets to one deficit. He knocks out Marcos Giron in three sets, the 22-year-old Brit, who of course made a final last week in Adelaide, I think. Um, all the cities blend together at this point. But Draper, 6-4-3, 6-4-6-6-love, 6-2 over Marcos Giron. An incredibly physically matched that ended accordingly. And what was the viral moment? Wasn't anything uh, malicious that happened at the handshake. No, it was a desperate Jack Draper after a lung-busting match point 
begging Marcos Giron, please shake my hand, Marcos, please shake my hand, so that he could run off to the trash can on the side of the court and vomit his brains out. That's the sort of physicality, the sort of conditions these players were playing in yesterday. And again, for the 22-year-old Draper, whose biggest issues have been physical, like it's injuries, not level of play, as I keep alluding to, that have kept him out of the top 25 I mean, passes the ultimate test, right? Five sets in the peak of sunlight, knocking out a guy in Marcos Giron who is as fit as a guy as we have on the ATP Tour. And guess what? Now comes the real test because up next for Draper, he's got 24, 48 hours to recover, full day to recover. Then you get the test against Tommy Paul, who you played elite tennis against to beat just one week ago. You're going to have to summon that again. You're going to have to do it in a three out of five format and do it against a Tommy Paul who played electric. Two of Tommy's three matches this year, he has looked untouchable. The one match he didn't was the match he lost to Jack Draper, where Draper's forehand down the line, I'm telling you, was just at a level I have never seen it before. Draper's the favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, 54.6%. We'll see how fit he is, how quick that recovery is. It always helps to be 22, right? Those muscles come back just a little bit more quickly than they do later in life, but... Again, Jack Draper was pushed to the brink by Marcos Giron. Brutal first-round draw. I do think he beats more than 50% of the field and advances to round two if he draws someone else. But 22-year-old Jack Draper continuing his progress back up the ATP rankings with his victory. Draper sitting at 54 in the live rankings. One more victory. He'll be back inside the top 50 where, in my opinion, the 22-year-old clearly belonged. Still, that was definitely a viral moment. You saw it spread across tennis Twitter immediately. Everyone tweeting out their photo, sharing their takes on Jack Draper, dare I say, getting sick uh, on the side of the court after grinding out a five-set victory. That said, uh, other matches here before we get to our final headline, just to put a bow on all the tennis we saw throughout the course of day number three. In terms of matches that went the distance, things settled down for both the men and the women on day number three. On the men's side, certainly you had only five five set matches that pales in comparison to the nine we had yesterday and more than anything I guess only the one seed talent Greekspor grinding his way to that five set win I mentioned Jack Draper as well the five set winner how about Tanasi Kokonakis just the Oz the 26 year old Aussie is just 27 year old excuse me special when it comes to playing in his home country on home soil obviously won his lone ATP title in Australia grind his way seven six two six Six seven six one seven six in the third set breaker. Electric stuff. Just again, his serve, his forehand, always such technically so sound. The weaponry so overwhelming and so abundantly clear to the eye test. Ofner pushed him. Like again, Ofner is playing top fifty ball. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He just ran into the best version of Kokonakis, playing well, fit and healthy, and in front of his home crowd in Australia. Again, special stuff for Tanasi. Now, how quickly will he be able to bounce back? That's a fair question. He's gonna have to, as he takes on arguably the fittest mortal player. I say mortal, non-Alcaraz Djokovic division, mortal player we have on tour in Grigor Dimitrov. Still big victory for Kokonakis to advance to round number two. Keeps him in that top 100. He's sitting at 87 right now in the live rankings. Your other five setters, how about Jerry Shang? I tell, I'm telling you, it's when, not if. The 18-year-old finds himself in the top 100. He gets a victory, five sets over Mackie McDonald. Again, the lefty just had the biggest weapons on the court 
makes such clean contact with the ball, kind of overwhelmed that forehand with the heaviness of his inside-out forehand, overwhelmed the Mackie McDonald forehand, excuse me, throughout the course of that match. But another match that was decided on the margins, really fun five-center, goes the way of the 18-year-old. He is through to round number two, where a date with qualifiers submit Nagal await. So again, in theory, that's a, a huge opportunity for the 18-year-old. He's a 73.9% favorite. He's already played, he's played a, a three-hour two-set match, a three-set match, a three-and-a-half-hour three-set match, and now a five-set match against Mackie McDonald. Three sets against Andre Rublev as well. Jerry Shong likes to go the distance, so maybe that's what you expect against Samit Nagal, but massive opportunity for the 18-year-old to start his season. By the way, Samit Nagal, again, you're pulling off your one upset of the day. He was just Played cleaner tennis, took everything the defense gave him uh, in a 6-4-6-2-7-6 win over 31st seeded Sasha Bublik. Last but not least, in terms of going the distance on the men's side, Arthur Cazo, the Frenchman, gets his first victory at a slam. Challenger finalist last week, now 6-2 in the fifth. He knocks out Laszlo Gera. Arthur Cazo with the win, currently sitting 130. That is not right. I need to refresh my live rankings. That's why everyone wasn't sitting where they should. Jerry Shung sitting at 151. Arthur Cazo with the win. 112 now, up 10 spots in the live rankings, knocking on the door of the top 100, which he would be one spot away from with another victory here at the French Open, uh, French Open, Australian Open. But the Frenchman, Arthur Cazot, taking on Holger Runa, as I alluded to earlier, in round number two. Those were your five set, uh, five setters on the men's side. On the women's side, I mentioned the seeds already. Chinwen, Azarenka, Navarro, all getting three set wins. How about Daria Kasatkina? Faced her real first test. It was her third meeting against the big hitting, always dangerous serve plus one combination of Peyton Stearns. And it looked like Kasakina was going to have her number once again. Kasakina, two lopsided victories last year over Stearns, races out to a 6 2 set. Stearns, all sorts of uncomfortable errors off of both wings. Then Stearns found her bearing. Then she steadied the ship, takes a 6 3 second set. Her weapons, the asserting character. Uh, characteristics of that stretch in the set. But then, I mean, again, credit to Daria Kasakina, 6-2 in the third. She bounces right back, made that match a track meet down the stretch. Stearns just didn't have the legs to pull it out. So credit to Kasakina. She passes her first test. Again, she's got a brutal section of the draw, though, as Kasakina faces Sloane Stevens next. She'll be the favorite, but that is, again, two tough Americans for Kasakina to kick off her stay in Melbourne. Your other three-set winners, I already mentioned, Danielle Collins. How about Isla Tamjanovic working her way back from injury? 6-4 in the third. She knocks out Petra Marcic. Martina Trevisan, 6-2 in the third. She knocks out Renata Zarazu. And then, again, Wang Yafan. 06, and I believe three love down. Six love, three love down. 06, 7, 5, 6, 2. She grinds her way back to a win over 22nd seeded Serana Kirstea. Other than that, again, I think we hit most of the big headlines, the big results on the day. Ju Lin, the 29th seed, she's going to lose some serious points. She gets knocked out by a very much informed Ocean Dodan, who I did not know had that degree of backhand firepower, was swinging freely on her way to a 4-3 and three victories. 12 women's seeds eliminated so far. Again, only one top tenner in Marketa Vondrosova. Beyond her, maybe you say Ekaterina Alexandrova, but I don't know if we've lost any serious contender. The Kirstea upset's an upset given the winning position she was in, but most of if not all, the top contenders still alive as we approach round number two. And then, again, your other straight set winners, Stevens, 3-1 over Gadeski. Uh, 
was down an early break but found her rhythm as that match progressed. Katie Bolter, big win to capitalize on her United Cup momentum, make uh, consolidate her top 50 position. Talked about Clara Tawson already. Clara Burel, 4-1 winner. Good win for the young French woman as she tries to consolidate her top 50 spot. Coach Chiaretto and Blinkova, your other straight set winners on the day. On the men's side, Cam Nori, Yuri Lechechka, your last straight set winners. Nori never pushed against Juan Pablo Varias, who just didn't have the weapons to hurt him on this surface. Lechechka just completely overwhelming the forehand of Zapata Marais. Straight set win for the 32-seed title winner, obviously, last week uh, in Adelaide, playing some successful ball to kick off his 2024 season as he has to defend quarterfinal points at this event. Four set winners on the unseeded side for the men. Lorenzo Sanego from a set down 4-6-7-6-6-2-7-6. His forehand just gave Dan Evans fits. He had the biggest weapons on the court there. Took Arthur Fee a second to adjust to the weapons of Yuri Vesely, but once he did, that match was never in doubt. 4-6-7-5-6-2-6-3. The uh, young Frenchman pulling away there. How about Alex Mickelson? Again, no questions about his ability to hit a tennis ball. Just makes finding ways to be offensive so easy for himself. Changes directions at will. Moves forward with such fluidity. Seven six three six six one six two. He knocks out James McCabe, the lefty Julio Zeppieri, a four-set winner. Max Purcell, big-hitting Lucas Klein, your last winners on the men's side. The last storyline I do want to talk about here briefly uh, before we wrap today's show, and I'm going to have David Kane on at some point to discuss this topic with further depth, but it was fascinating to see various players asked about Sasha Zverev's position on the ATP Council, whether they're comfortable with him serving in that position after it was announced in press that his domestic violence dispute will be taken uh, to German public court. Uh, Obviously, again, he retains the right of presumption of innocence, as all do in the criminal justice system. It's a second allegation of domestic violence leveled against Sasha Zverev, the first, obviously, to be adjudicated through the judicial system. But for a player that in that position to be facing those sorts of legal ramifications, to be serving in a position of leadership, it's an indictment on the ATP Player Council. It's an indictment on the ATP Tour, even if you believe he deserves the presumption of innocence, which, again, I am not disputing. Do you want someone facing this degree of allegations representing your players as a leader on the council? Should that be someone who embodies the ethos, the spirit, the objectives of what these players hope to accomplish? I certainly hope not. I certainly hope it would be easy for all of these players when asked about this topic, even if they, you know, more broadly don't want to comment first and foremost. And I've seen this sentiment echoed, so it's not an original thought, but you'd think they'd condone domestic violence, immediately speak to the seriousness of the nature of allegations of uh, of such. And again, just the lack of transparency for the ATP Tour's investigation into Alia Sharapova first, their lack of transparency into any sort of discussions on how this public German court proceeding impacts how Zverev's Zverev's availability, his ability to compete throughout the course of the season, or just, again, any sort of acknowledgement that it's existing, they continue to promote him and push it to the side as if it's not happening. It's now going to go to public trial. Again, presumption of innocence, I understand. And if you think he should be allowed to compete while that presumption of innocence persists, I can't knock that line of argumentation. If you defend him serving in a leadership position with these sorts of allegations— 
hanging over his head, that's where we have a serious dispute first and foremost because no leadership. Uh, I would hope that in our leaders, we we hope to see the best reflected in society, that we aspire for our leaders to aspire to the highest principles, certainly accusations of domestic violence leveled against them not once, but multiple allegations that to me does not pass the test of highest principles. And a player should be prepared to answer that at the very least. A player should be able to condone domestic violence allegations, speak to the serious nature of them. And for players to say no comment for Casper Rude's response, he was the first player to be asked this question. It was very clear he wasn't prepared for it, but for him to not even comment on the serious nature of the allegations, for him to just offer a more broad no comment, I'm sorry, I have no good answer for you, ask me something else. And that's not the exact sentiment of his answer, but that was more broadly a summary of his message. You know, obviously, Iga Sviantek comes out pretty serious, uh, pretty consequential, or at least the most consequential answer I saw in saying these are serious allegations, and I don't know if we want someone like that being promoted by the tour. Players are going to have to be prepared. I'm sure there is a discussion between all these players, all their agents. Hey, this question is coming up in the press room. By the way, I think it's absolutely within the realms of reason for these players to be uh, for someone to ask these players are you comfortable with him serving in a position of leadership not for them to comment on the nature of the allegations but to say someone facing those allegations do you want them to be represented as a leader on your tour that is a fair question for every player to have to ask and that is where I sit on this headline I don't think that's an unreasonable thing for these players to be asked you certainly hope Australian Open media staff who again are so great with all things YouTube all great things social media content they have not done any promoting of Zverev you certainly hope they don't punish any journalists trying to ask this story try to steer them things away microphone wise from ensuring that they get to ask that question repeatedly because they are the gatekeepers into ensuring, again, the press has the opportunity to ask players legitimate questions such as, do you feel comfortable with a member of your player council facing a second allegation of domestic violence? It was a headline on day number three, one I think we're going to see continue to play out throughout the course of this event as well as more f- players face that question moving forward. That said, that's everything from day number three, from on to off the court, from this 2024 Australian Open. And as always, if you're looking for daily preview content, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out, as well, to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel you want our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. And we say that's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.